1: Hey friend, support this podcast by leaving a five-star rating and review in Apple iTunes, and you can also do that now in Spotify and leave five stars for Infertility and Me podcast. This will just help increase our show's ranking and reach so that we can continue to reach more people and more friends who may be silently suffering with infertility too. Now, let's get into the episode. Welcome to Infertility and Me podcast a show that amplifies diverse stories about the struggles of infertility and fertility in a safe space. Our goal is to normalize fertility stories that validate, give hope, and create a community where no one is left silently suffering. Thank you guys so much for being here with me. It's your host, Monique Farouk, here at the Infertility and Me podcast. If this is your first time, welcome, welcome, welcome. Thank you so much for letting me be a part of your day and for listening and hitting that play button. And also make sure that you guys are subscribed and or following the podcast on YouTube or your favorite audio platform. You can find me on Instagram at Infertility and me podcast as well for more content and just to connect and get to know each other a little bit more. But I'm going to get right into it. I do not want to hold you guys long. And so today we have a very special guest an author and a published author that is Miss Kimberly Gowdy. She is the author of a book called The Colorless Womb. Emily always yearned for a child, but after seven miscarriages, three failed surrogacy attempts and two embryos left she and her husband received an unexpected blessing the twist Kimberly is black and her surrogate is white and they live in the south Kimberly is the author of The Colorless Womb you can find that book at thecolorlesswomb.com as well as Amazon which details her surrogacy and infertility story she also created a support group called moby capital m o b y mommy older baby younger a support group for mothers 35 and over and you guys make sure that you check that out if you fit into that category or just need some extra support but in her book the colorless wound she tackles infertility surrogacy and racial societal pressures of parenthood dealing with ignorant comments from friends and family like is your baby gonna be white or it took a white woman to save you the problem was that kimberly searched high and low for a surrogate that looked like her but all fell short in the health area and so today just shared with us her entire story and is advocating really for surrogacy and for maybe considering going outside of your own racial makeup or background in order to conceive and have a family or expand your already existing family and I think it's a really great thing that she's done by writing and publishing this book because as the world continues to change as couples experiment with multiple uh, multiracial relationships and such these conversations are going to be more and more prevalent and it's a conversation that we should all have with our spouses when we're trying to conceive is that if it ever came to this and we are financially stable enough to be able to go down the route of surrogate would we be open to a woman who is not from the same racial makeup from either or none of you in Kimberly's case her and her husband are both African-American and their surrogate is white and so I hope that you guys will enjoy today's episode. I'm sure that you will, and it will help you open your eyes to another path. Or, if you know someone uh, currently seeking a surrogate, may pass them this episode so that they can learn more about surrogacy from a multiracial surrogacy journey. We'll be back in just a second with Kimberly. Thank you and welcome back to another episode of Infertility and me we are right right back with our guest Ms Kimberly Gowdy. Thank you Kimberly so much for coming onto the show and sharing your your very unique story to motherhood through surrogacy. and I know that you have suffered quite a few losses in the past as well. We'll get into that later, but just thank you. thank you so much for representing for all of us survivors of the infertility community and especially as brown girls.
2: Yes. Thank you so much for having me. I certainly appreciate it. My pleasure.
1: The pleasure is all mine. So I usually ask everybody how they met their spouses. So how did you and hubby meet?
2: (laughs) Oh boy, that's interesting. Well, one, my hubby is, um, it's, it's a second marriage. Okay. This is, you know, it's a second marriage and we met I needed a physician. I had an ear infection. And so I met him at his office. We I went in and and I was a patient. Um initially of course there was, you know, no connection with us at all, but I guess over time the way that things worked out, we ultimately started having conversations and um yeah, the rest is history, as they say. Yeah, well, that's how we met. I was his patient. Oh,
1: that's so unique. I love it. Everything about your story is so unique from the beginning to now, right? <laughs> I love that, though. I love that. It's an unconventional way of, yeah, it's an unconventional way that you wouldn't normally think about. You Like, you see them movies, but you don't. I don't, I don't think I've ever met anybody who actually met their spouse because their spouse was their physician first. <laughs> that's really cool. I love that. I love it. I love it. I love unique stories like that. So, oh my gosh, you guys. how? What year did you guys get married? How long ago did you guys oh, get married?
2: we got married in 2007. Okay, okay. Yeah, so you
1: guys have been together for good. for almost two decades. Wow. So did you always feel like you wanted to be a mom? Did it, is that something that you always wanted That you always saw for yourself, especially after you guys got married? You know?
2: I I tell you, I have, I mean, that's just something that I just always, you know, you just figure like, that's just the natural progression in life that, you know, you are going to meet the person of your dreams. You're going to have children. So my entire life, I've always wanted to be a mom. I'm from a large family. And so... I just, you know, just assumed that that would just be an easy thing. You know, my mom mm-hmm. had six children, so it's just, um, you know, hey, it's no big deal. But um, for me, it didn't really work out that way.
1: After you guys got married and everything, when did you decide to start trying to conceive? Or didn't did, you said um, you had been married before? Did you have any, you didn't have any children from the previous marriage, right?
2: No, no children from the previous marriage, but I will tell you I had several losses from the previous marriage, a number of losses. You know, I getting pregnant for me because infertility is not just like, you know, like you can't get pregnant, but it's also the inability to carry a child to full term. And so exactly. I was diagnosed with an incompetent cervix, but unfortunately in order to get that diagnosis you're well along in your pregnancy. So I was in close to my sixth month of pregnancy and I lost my son. It's needless to say the devastation oh, wow. of that was just, it was horrific. So um, that happened. And that's when, you know, I'd had early miscarriages and, and you cannot, um, you know, disregard those early Losses, You know, some people will say, oh, you know, well, you were only eight weeks, you're only nine weeks, but you are already in love when you find out when you see that plus sign or, you know, I'm, you know, you're pregnant or you get that information from the doctor. You're already so excited that it doesn't matter if you're six weeks, five weeks, it didn't matter. So I've gotten those types of early on. Uh, you know, you know, we thought we, you know, I know it was positive, but, you know, that didn't work out. And so I'd gotten those previously. And then to get to this pregnancy where, oh, what is this three months? I'm, I'm at I'm past the mark of, you know, everyone says, you know, that after 12 weeks, you're you're you don't need to worry about it as much anymore. And so to get to 20 plus weeks in a pregnancy, and it doesn't work out. That was just absolutely devastating. So again, I've always wanted to be a mom. Um, My losses came, you know, all of my losses came during my first marriage. And I think that between that and some other, you know, issues that we had that I actually outlined slightly in my book, that just was a recipe for a disastrous ending to our our marriage.
0: Yeah. Mm
1: And unfortunately, it's it's a lot more common than people think when you go through that with a spouse. The trauma mm-hmm. is what really tears exactly. you apart. Yeah, yeah so, so much me. grief there. Yeah. So much grief there. And I empathize deeply for your losses. And I went into preterm labor myself at around 23 weeks. So I, I know the trauma. It's becoming more apparent to me as I continue the podcast how many of, yeah. I can count, so many women of color who have been on the podcast who have suffered from preterm loss and or had a really early baby that was born and survived or didn't and he lost the baby.
2: What I mean when I talk about the way that it, I would literally think about after the loss, you know, Mm. getting in my car and like driving into a tree. Like it's, the pain of it all was so bad because you're holding this child, like you have to, I had to deliver the child and then I'm holding this baby Mm. and it, the devastation it was just—I cannot even, um, you know, explain. It, it's the worst. And then for me, a year later, I found myself back in that situation again. Well, I went to versus six it's months, and worst. I went to the fifth month, yeah. and that was after having um, a surclage. They called it like a stitch to to keep your cervix closed. I had the surclage, and I still went into labor and lost the a, a little boy, a second son. So, yeah, so it's absolute devastation.
1: Another boy. Oh, wow. Mm-hmm. And so when you got married with your husband, I'm sure you were very upfront about your your condition of having the incompetent cervix and things.
2: Yeah, so in my situation, I when I, I met my husband, once we decided we were you know, going to be a couple getting married, I have to say, one minute we... We're talking about getting married, you know, then five months later we were engaged and immediately we were married. And I will say that, you know, in in my situation, I didn't, because of my age at the time, you know, like being Mm -hmm. late thirties, I just thought, you know what, that ship had sailed. So I never really talked to my husband about what I had gone through in terms of children because I never really thought. That, that would be something that would come up, my husband he had two daughters who we were grown ups at that point they had graduated from college already, and so okay. I never even thought you know like hey, we will live our lives, and you know my my story is this just that I will never become a mom and we'll move on and so it was rather surprising to me that he was the one to mention children, and at that point here I was having to explain to him and him being a physician and knowing a lot of people in the community. Yeah, the reproductive and, yeah, care and all that. He knew like the right people. And so them, you know, getting my records and looking over everything, we we did go through trying uh, again, like, you know, going through IVF and saying, Hey, you know, like, you know, hey, we can do the stitch a different way and we can do whatever. What ended up happening was when we did do the first round of IVF, it mm-hmm. I it, it came, the test came back negative. And I will, I will okay. tell you, I was very happy that it was negative, even though I mm-hmm. did want to be a mom. Mm-hmm. What was more painful to me was having to go through possibly being five, six months pregnant and then losing the child, that type of pain, I didn't want
1: to, do I didn't
2: mm-hmm. want to go through it. So it was me who I, I said to my husband, I can't do this. I I, I know you're sad that it, it was negative, but I need to be honest with, with you. I need to be honest with myself that I'm not That's it. disappointed That's it. that it was negative. And I thought at that point we could look into adoption. That was... The road that I wanted to take was adoption, especially when it comes to children of, you know, Black children, especially, you know, needing homes. I just thought that that would be the best thing to do. And ultimately, in doing that search for adoption, we stumbled upon surrogacy.
1: And when you say stumbled, was it something that you weren't really uh cognizant about before had it, it just never crossed your mind yeah, right never
2: crossed my mind like surrogacy mm-hmm, like mm-hmm. who do we even know what that's done surrogacy who's even doing right. that like exactly. you know that's not something that's every day ever-
1: and who's doing it in the black community you and, know let's be honest who's
2: doing it? yeah i'm glad you said that i who's doing that like no one that I know has ever done that, and it, it wasn't even something that I thought of. But because we had gone to the the doctors regarding the the IBF, mm-hmm. you of course, in order to do that, you have to go through the creating the embryos and doing that whole thing. You know, getting the the embryos for the implantation for the pregnancy that we chose to do previously. Well, once the attorney for who was going to head the adoption. When she realized that, hey, you guys have embryos, I know you're here for adoption, but you could consider mm-hmm. surrogacy because it would still be your own biology, but someone else would carry the child. Exactly, exactly. And that, so that's how yeah. we... It's
1: called, oh, they call it gestational.
2: gestational you,
1: the gestational, gestational carrier, um, you share epigenetics. Yes. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, the epigenetics is... Oh, wow. So, yeah. Wow. And so your lawyer, were they, were they rehearsed in dealing with fertility? Were they a special, a lawyer, there's, you know, there's lawyers that yeah. specialize in reproductive she, care cases and stuff. This okay.
2: Well, this particular, um, attorney, she was going to help us with adoption. Like she was going mm-hmm. to go through the, all the ins and outs retur- regarding adoption. And that's why we had spoken to her to begin with. And, and so we had no idea. That
1: yeah. She knew about all that yes. stuff. Yeah. She
2: yeah. She's really
1: knowledgeable. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
2: And that's how we got into the surrogacy. So stumbled upon was just the word. <laughs> yes.
1: I love that. <laughs> I love the way you describe <laughs> it though, because I feel like we often, we stumble upon infertility too, yeah. because unless we have a condition pre-existing to trying to conceive, like endometriosis mm-hmm. that can be diagnosed as teenagers right. and such, or PCOS even, yes. We don't... Infertility, what is that? That's exactly what my mom said. Infertility, Infertility, what do you mean? Like, I've heard of it, but you don't really know exactly what it all entails. So yeah, I understand, girl.
0: I understand. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies, we keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success.
1: So did you guys go through with the, with the adoption or did you just start to begin to research more about the surrogacy? How did that work out? So
2: she mentioned this. My husband was very interested, I would say, in that option. I was not. And the reason I wasn't, and I, and I just to tell people, when you think of becoming a mom, I always dreamt of, oh, the baby kicked. Oh, the, the beauty mm-hmm. of, oh my goodness, push. The whole experience. Push yeah. you, the, that whole thing. And so to, to go to a surrogate was basically telling the entire world that, you know, in my mind, failure you know she can't do it yeah. she's not so it it took so much for you know a lot of conversations a lot of arguments a lot of tears back and forth before i got comfortable with doing this and it, my husband he was like you know whatever time you need to get to this point and if you never get to that point you know i'm okay And I ultimately said, okay, and and it was a conversation. I'm in a a sorority and it was a a conversation that I had with one of my, actually it was someone who was in a different sorority, but she was the person and I, and I always give her credit for this because I contacted her and I was just talking about this whole thing about surrogacy and how, you know, I felt like a failure and, you know, why would I do that? And everybody would know, and I didn't carry the child. And she's like, you know, if you need it like a heart and you need it and someone was going to do a transplant, like, would you accept it? If it was going to help you live, you know, people who need organ donations, why would it be any different that this person is helping you with something that obviously my uterus just is not working or my cervix is not working the way that it should. So I need help. And when she said that, I was like, okay, I received it. And I told my husband that we could move forward. And so that
0: that was was it.
1: I love the way she described it. I've never heard anybody describe it that way. Mm -hmm. And it it makes total sense. And I'm glad that you brought that up because I'm sure there may be someone listening who Mm -hmm. may be deciding that right now. Surrogacy is becoming so much more common and especially with black and brown women and such. So it's an option. If you can afford it financially, it's an option and it's there. So you make the decision. And what was the process like You deciding who your surrogate would be?
2: Doing the surrogacy piece of it. Like I'm so new at this, you know, I didn't, I don't know what to do with, with this whole thing, but I know we we're going to do surrogacy. So of course I go online and of course there are agencies that you can go through for surrogacy and all honesty, if I had to do it again, I probably would have maybe chosen an agency. Like, you know, they, it's a steep fee. Okay. Yeah. But so what I did was like, Hey, you know, I got this No, I can look into it. It's a long process. And there are literally people who are out there in the whole world of surrogacy who can, they're like advertising or just saying you know like you can put in you know she lives here she's had a number of children she has done this before um you know like what they call, what they charge the whole nine and so you're getting all of that information so i found a, a person you know to to help us with this And in all honesty, I wanted to kind of live vicariously through this person. So I wanted her to be a black woman. That was my thing. Like, I'm a black woman. I just wanted my surrogate to be a black woman. I'm going to go through this with me, go through it with me. And ultimately, though, after going through three different surrogates, and this is over years, because through surrogacy, you have to do the background check piece of it where your attorney comes in. You have to do the emotional piece of it where the psychologist comes in and you have to do the physical piece of it, which is where the reproductive endocrinologist comes in. And none of this is in network. You're not paying, you know, no insurance is paying for this. So you're having to, you know, you want to make sure she's not, you know, fugitive. You got to make sure that her, you know, mentally she's okay. And then you got to make sure physically she's okay. And so you're paying out of pocket to all three of these professions to do that. And we did that with three different people over years, because you have to actually find the person, get to know the person, kind of talk it through that you want to go forward with it. And so it's a lot. And that's why I say I probably would have used an agency to kind of do that, you know, because they've already vetted the person and they've done all that. So I had to do that myself. And I liken it to like online dating, like when you're going to these you know, apps or whatever, and you're like saying, "Hey, right. is he the, you know, mm-hmm. does he fit the criteria?" When you first meet the person, it's just kind of like, "Oh, yeah, exactly. okay." So, you know, what do you do further? You know, you're just having that conversation, mm-hmm. like you met somebody mm-hmm. online, and so that's kind of how it how it is. And but ultimately, yeah. that didn't work at all for any three of these women. And then the the colorless womb, which is you know my my book and my story has to do with the fact that after I had done all of my interviewing and research and tried to find the person, it never worked out for me. And then ultimately the surrogate that ended up being perfect for us was someone that my attorney who pretty much talked to her from the very beginning before I started doing all my searches, she had a person that she knew Mm
0: -hmm. and she
2: ended up not looking anything like me, not being anything like me. She was white and her name was Heidi. And so that ended up being our surrogate to carry my son. Yeah. And she was very proud and very happy to do it, which is the reason I wrote my book is because of the surrogacy piece, you know, highlighting infertility, but also highlighting the fact that with so much division and negativity going on in terms of race in our country and in our world that that's not everybody it's just not so for this woman named Heidi like I always tell her like that is like the whitest name whitest name ever (laughs) Heidi (laughs) other than Becky it's like oh my god, for her to do this to bring us into the world is a selfless thing for anyone and then someone of a different race it's a very special thing, so you know I'm, I'm very proud of my story, you know, pertaining to the surrogacy piece and how it happened.
1: You must have received quite a, a lot of backlash from certain family members who were very close to you and concerned about your mental well-being and your emotional state as well, right?
2: Yeah, um,
1: that must have been really difficult. Yeah, I
2: mean, what did it? I'm the oldest of of six children, well, six girls, and all of them had children. And so they were really concerned about the fact that, you know, like when I was going through all the losses and like, I'm sure like with anyone going through the the number of losses that I'd gone through, they were very concerned about mentally, like me being okay. Mm-hmm. And then especially after I'd gone through a divorce and having gone through all of that, they were, they were really concerned about whether or not I was okay. So that really, um you know, as the oldest in my family and and a lot of people who are children who are the oldest of all the kids, you feel like the younger ones, they come to you. Like it's almost as if you're Mm -hmm. the leadership, Mm -hmm. so to speak. So you don't really go to them with your problems. They come to you with their problems. So I never really shared anything, but because they could actually see all of the pain and all of the loss in my life, that you know that had a lot, they were very concerned. I had a youngest younger sister, like she was actually my youngest sister. She offered to carry my child for me. She wrote me a letter. Mm-hmm. she couldn't even like tell me. I just received the letter, and she told me, and I still mm-hmm. have it like like she wrote me this letter and said, "Wow, you know, if you want me to carry- you know carry the child and so yeah and in terms of like backlash backlash came from the person that whom I chose as my surrogate that came with a lot of back- mm. backlash because people who didn't know my my background who didn't know my full story mm-hmm. that we had gone through three other people to get to this one surrogate they thought that I had just chose, chosen someone who like, Oh, like, was I not like a black woman? Was she not good enough to carry your child? Like, are you kidding me? And so that came with some backlash from a couple of people who just did not understand and had no appreciation for the fact that someone outside of my race would carry a child or that I would allow it to happen. And What I said to them and what I would say to your audience is that when you are at the point where, you know, you may have a certain or preconceived notion about how you want things to look or how Mm -hmm. you want something to develop or how, just how you want the story to, to, to be, period. And that just may not be the plan that God has For you and your story, it may come in an unconventional, you mentioned that word earlier, unconventional way, in a way that you never saw coming. And for me, I'm not, you know, I don't know anyone else's beliefs, but for me, God, I mean, I have a a strong faith and belief in God. And so his timing is perfect timing. And when I look at what happened with me and my story, and I look at myself as Kimberly and then Heidi, who carried my Mm -hmm. little Black son, whom I love dearly, I look at where we are right now in our country and, like I said, world, and it's just the timing couldn't be more perfect, which is why... I wanted to write my book and talk about it because it's just an on time story. And that to me, like in terms of who carried my child, once people have the backdrop and they have the, you know, more knowledge of what happened, then they just are like, Oh my goodness. I had no idea. Like, you know, whatever. And so you'll see a lot of that. Mm -hmm, If you read the mm -hmm. book too, you'll see a lot of that where, even the, the, the people at the front desk of the doctor's office, black women who were just incensed that I was walking in with Heidi. And so that is hurtful. Yeah, it it, it is. It's it's hurtful. hurtful. And, but you know, it's just still, once people have an understanding, then it's, then it's different. Mm -hmm. And, and I will say this last thing that when you are dealing with infertility, your end in goal is: I want to be a mom. I I want to yeah. be someone's mother. Someone calling me mommy—that's what you want. You want it, and it doesn't have to be that you go through surrogacy. It could be adoption. It could be where you become the best mm-hmm, mom ever. Mm-hmm. To maybe you know you 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 marry someone, they have children, and their child. Is they think of you as just everything you are, so you still become a mom that way, and so it does not necessarily have to be that you carry the child. You could become a mom in so many different ways, and so I get it. And for me, this was just my journey to ultimately have a son and sister right. see.
1: I tell people all the time, you just have to be open minded when you go into assisted reproductive care and or any other path to parenthood you know you just have to be really open-minded and look for the signs and wonders you know look look for the the unconventional ways of doing it and forget what everybody else has to say about it you know it matters for you know when we're talking about our loved ones but then again it doesn't because you're going through it you're paying for it (laughs) and it's your life and it's your life you know know, so I
2: was watching I was watching Housewives of Atlanta and Mm -hmm. Candy Burris, she used a surrogate for her daughter. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. Um, I remember there was a, I had already, my son was already here, but I remember her husband saying something like surrogacy, like black people don't do like you said something to that point of black people don't mm-hmm. do use her, And so I'm telling you, that was something where I just chuckled when I heard him make that comment or whatever. So one day, if I ever meet them, I'm going to be like, uh, yeah, we do use surrogates, you know. <laughs>
1: yep. Yes. And I think we just got to stop using terminology yeah, like that. It's so yeah. confining. Yeah. It's so confining. And it, it doesn't leave room for, for much else to come in, you know, and mm-hmm. for God and the universe mm-hmm. and all of our ancestors to bring our blessings to us, you know, because what, had, what you wouldn't have your son, the who he is today without it and so i think it's a blessing and um i know that uh, heidi will continue to be blessed and you guys will be too as well moving forward so tell us where we can find you and also your book and i'll make sure that i have it in show details for everyone to tap and go oh,
2: absolutely um you can follow me like i'm on facebook instagram twitter it's under the colorless womb underscore so the colorless womb underscore is i want to underscore um for infertility i want to underscore the colorless womb um, so yeah that's how you can find me you know can email at um, thecolorlesswomb.com you can look up the website and see information about me and then also interviews that I've done on that website so yeah that's how you can find me And if you want to purchase the book which would be amazing you can mm-hmm, find it mm-hmm. on Amazon on Google um, I'm sorry Amazon and Apple iTunes and also Barnes and Noble. you can find the book
1: wonderful the wonderful well, thank you again, Kimberly, for being here and sharing your story. It was just absolutely a pleasure and very enlightening for me as well. And yeah, I just appreciate it. I appreciate it so much that you're, your willingness to share and to advocate for all of us. Thank you. I appreciate you again.
2: Thank
1: you so much. You. Welcome. You're welcome. Pleasure is mine. And thank you, friends, for tuning in to another episode of Infertility and Me podcast. You guys know where to find me. Peace and blessings.